You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down the threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. Pretty much industrial control systems are all around us, right? Everything we touch is is either directly controlled by by one of these systems or it's fabricated by one of these systems. So an industrial control system is a bunch of peripherals that combined make a product or ship a, a good or a service to somebody. That's Pascal Ackerman. He's a senior security consultant for operational technology and threat and attack simulation at GuidePoint Security. The research is titled GuidePoint Security Researcher Discovers Vulnerability in the Integrity of Common HMI Client-Server Protocol. Think of it as as pretty much the the engine in your car that that drives everything, that makes sure that that your your battery gets charged, makes sure that there's hydraulic pressure for your uh, pressured steering column and stuff like that. So these systems are controlling the the process, the industrial control systems uh, that, that take care of a certain process. So there's variables like temperature, pressure that go into it, and these systems will uh, monitor these uh, control points, and they will uh, they will make actions to keep them in a certain uh, uh, acceptable parameters. And so, what is the uh, peril here that you all are exploring? So, uh, as I said, these systems control a, uh, a key value like a pressure or a temperature. And oftentimes they do that very well themselves, right? You set them, you said, for example, I want the temperature to be at uh, 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Or, or if, you, if you go back to the resemblance to a car, I want my, I want my cruise control to stay at 60 miles an hour. So the, it, will, it will use sensors to look at your temperature or your speed in, in, in the car reference. And it will, it will uh, throttle uh, steam pressure or it will throttle your, uh, your, your gas pedal in the car. To stay within that within that value, oftentimes there needs to be some sort of an oversight to make sure that the process is within tolerable uh, maximum and minimum uh, values, and that's that's done with what we call an HMI or human machine interface. 
So an, mm. an operator will have one of these HMIs sitting in the control room or wherever he's, he's looking at these values. And he can keep an eye on the temperature. Sometimes there's some trending on there as well that can show you outliers to see over time what your, what your pressure uh, or your temperature is doing. I've always been fascinated with the communication from the process to that HMI and how that works. So I, I started looking at it deeper and deeper, and, and that's how I discovered these, uh, these vulnerabilities. Well, let's walk through it together here. Can, can you take us through this journey? What exactly did you discover? So as I was doing a, uh, an assessment of a large manufacturer that was doing a lot of recipe-based manufacturing, this was food and beverage, and then, mm-hmm. and then they sent recipes from a controller, the PLC or the Programmable Logical Controller, which is the brain of your automation system, to an HMI. And, and we were taking uh, Wireshark packet captures. So we're basically sniffing the network, looking at all the traffic, all of the, the data traversing the network. And I was seeing these, these recipe names flowing by in clear text. And that, that set off uh, uh, my curiosity bell, right? And I, I started looking deeper into it. And I noticed that they were tied to a particular protocol. The, and, and this was for an, an Alan Bradley uh, facility. So it, it was what they called the live data a protocol where they basically have uh, an HMI system with a, with the system being a server and a client. They were communicating these recipes to each other over clear text, and that and that sparked the whole the whole research project. Well, let's continue down the path then. I mean, your your curiosity is peaked. Where did you go from there? I started uh, looking at the Wireshark packet captures and, and started to, to push it through a, a, a Python framework called Scapy, which is really, really handy for, for dealing with packet captures and, and actually also manipulating it, uh, some of the data, which we'll, we'll get to in a minute. So I started filtering out certain values. I was looking at, okay, what when when I see these clear text recipes come by, what, what else is on that packet? Is there anything that stands out? And I noticed that there was a, a, certain, a certain part of the protocol always showed these clear text protocols and the, the clear text strings uh, passing by. So I started uh, looking deeper at that and I started honing down, started filtering out that particular part of the protocol. And I noticed that pretty much any data between the server and the client in, in one of these HMI systems is, is sent over clear text. Now, is this data that's that's reporting back a status? Is this data that is used to control devices? Is it both? It's it's both. So uh, one way, like I said, the operator can look at, at his process and and look at temperatures, look at pressures. And then if he if he notices that something is out of whack, he can go in and, and change a set point. He can uh, stop the process. He can do anything from that HMI, which is also then sent back from the client to the server in clear text. Now, I've seen uh, enough movies where things go horribly wrong, you know, like Jurassic Park or something like that, you know, where <laughs> or there's somebody sitting at a control panel and, and something starts to indicate incorrectly and they say, oh, we must have a bad sensor, you know, and then I'll go check it out. And then they go check it out and they get eaten by a dinosaur. Uh, <laughs> so is, is that where we're headed here, that the reliability of the information flowing back and forth is, is really at issue? Yes, absolutely. Think of it as, think of it as being pulled over in in your car, and and the cop is telling you you were, you were doing a hundred miles an hour. 
even though your speedometer was saying you were doing 60 miles an hour. And mm. so somebody might have tampered with your speedometer and, and you're thinking you're going under the speed limit while the, the, police, the police officer with his radar gun picked you at 100 miles an hour. So yes, what we're showing, what we're showing on the HMIs can no longer be just accepted or no longer trusted to be valid. And that's that's a that's a big big problem because now the operator sees the wrong values and he might make the wrong decisions based on on what he's seeing. And now a word from our sponsor, Six Sense. Six Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With SixSense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose SixSense, visit SixSense.com. And you went down the path in your research here to actually uh, sort of proof of concept this man-in-the-middle technique. Yeah. So after I saw those clear text values and passing by, which was a nice finding uh, on itself already, I thought, what if I could manipulate these these values as well and start showing something else on the screen? And, and that's exactly what I did. I used, again, the, the SCAPI tool to find the packets that were interesting, uh, look at specifics on, on how to uh, change some of the values on there. The, the framework even makes it easy for me that once I've, I'm done with manipulating the packet, it will do a, a revalidation. It will do, it will do a, a fix-up of the CRC on the packet, and then we'll send it off uh, to, the, to the client. And, and hold and behold, I saw the, the values change on the HMI. So I, I was looking at the PLC itself, which is which is the, the source of, of the data. It was showing 100 degrees. And then the server, uh, in the server client uh, HMI setup, it was showing 100 degrees. But by the time I was done manipulating the packet, the HMI was, uh, was showing 2,000 degrees. So uh, that was just for compromise of integrity. And you're able to do this in a way that wouldn't automatically draw attention to itself, would, would uh, delay detection? Uh, it, it would be. It, so these, are, these attacks are all based around the, the, uh, the ability to sit, to put an, an attacking machine, my colleague Linux in the, in the write-up, between the server and the client. In, in order to do that, we have to, we have to perform what's called ARP spoofing, which is Pretty, it's really easy to detect if you have the right tools in place. Uh, so if you if you have like a uh, a SIM or a, a deep packet inspection tools installed, it, it will be detectable. But but a lot of these facilities don't have those those means in place yet. You know, as I was reading through your research and I came to the section that talks about the potential implications, I, I have to admit. Uh, perhaps my twisted sense of humor was triggered. The, the first thing you list is panic, uh, and 
And while it's easy to laugh at that, I mean, the reality is, is that an industrial environment, uh, that's a real problem to get people responding to something that is out of bounds for what they're used to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it's valid too, because I have, I have worked in, in controls and automation since 1999 and I've been out on the production field. And, and a lot of times these processes that have, have high pressure steam, high temperatures are quick and, and uh, oftentimes hard to control. An, an operator has to be on his toes to, to keep it up and, and to keep it going. So if, if anything like this happens that is that is way out of whack, panic might have him uh, push the, the emergency button, which stops the process and, and with all the consequences from uh, doing that. Were you surprised to see so much data being exchanged in, in the clear? No, as, uh, no. <laughs> as, as I've been advocating for, for years now, Industrial control system security is was an afterthought, and that that wasn't anybody's fault. It's just how it organically grew, right? When we first started seeing industrial control systems, they weren't more than a handful of devices that were tied together with serial communications, point-to-point connections. So uh, mm. authentication, authorization wasn't in in play at those times because there was only one device that were was able to connect to it. But then when the hype came to bring everything to TCP IP stack and put everything on Ethernet in, in order to be competitive and to, and to easily have customers convert from point-to-point and serial to Ethernet, they just took those uh, wide-open protocols and they put them on Ethernet, which was already being scrutinized by attackers with Wireshark and I think it was Ethereal at, at that time tools and, uh, and the other common IT uh, attack tools. So what is to be done here? What are your recommendations, given everything that you've discovered here? I, ideally, I'd love to see the, uh, the uh, ICS manufacturers, the, the controls and automation vendors, start to build in authentication or at least integrity between the parts of their, uh, their offerings where, where this kind of uh, communication takes place. So in, in the case of Rockwell Automation, it would be great if they could set up a, a secure channel between their server and their client. Until then, uh, we're going to have to rely on uh, compensating control, as we call that, because you can set up an, uh, a tunnel between the client and server operating system. So Windows will allow you to set up something called an IPsec tunnel, which encrypts the, all communications between the client and the server. Yeah, it strikes me too, and, and correct me if my understanding is wrong, that more and more organizations are relying on these kinds of remote sensors, you know, where you, you used to have a perhaps a person on site at a location or you know, on the other side of, the, of, a, of a plant or the other side of, the, of a nation. Uh, and more and more of this is happening remotely, both for convenience and cost savings. Yeah, and, and yeah, oftentimes they use what they call a SCADA system for that, uh, mm-hmm. and they they will have remote sensors. They will have they will have uh, uh, plants all across the world, and they all they all tie that data back to a central place. The good, the good news is though that they often do that communication that that centralized uh, model. They do that over uh, what they call peer to peer VPN connections or or some hub spoke uh, VPN uh, architecture. So from the internet, from the public network, this is this is shielded off by the VPN connection. But once you're on that network, all of this data is visible. 
Now, what you have outlined here is a proof of concept. Are you aware of of anything like this happening in the wild, of any bad guys trying to, to take advantage of this sort of thing? No, not yet. Yeah. Seems like it's a matter of time. <laughs> sad to say. <laughs> it is sad to say, but uh, luckily or unluckily, I don't know, attackers are still focused on ransomware. So I've read mm. some research from uh, an, a colleague, uh, a colleague uh, researcher over, uh, over, they had set up a, a, an ICS honey net where they basically open up some ports and they made it look like they had a, an industrial control system sitting on the internet. And, and he, he stated that over the six or seven months they had that open, they had no really uh, targeted attacks on the ICS system, but mostly it was it was ransomware uh, or malware trying to uh, trying to take over the network. So hmm. until until that changes, stuff like this is uh, it's probably not that critical to look after yet. Thanks to Pascal Ackerman from GuidePoint Security for joining us. The research is titled GuidePoint Security Researcher Discovers Vulnerability in the Integrity of Common HMI Client-Server Protocol. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a message from CyberBit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need CyberBit. CyberBit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire Research Saturday podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Elliot Peltzman. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>